We have a lot of things to be thankful for as a church family. One of those things is just to see the generosity of this church family when it comes to giving toward the efforts we're making around here to make our campus more accessible to people. And if you haven't been with us before, uh, we're kind of in the, in the beginning process of, of making a change to the way the layout works here in, on the campus. And we want to make this campus more friendly to those who have struggles with mobility. So possibly wheelchair, walker. Um, certainly the stats would tell us that one in four people are going to struggle with mobility at one point in time in their lives or another. Thankfully, many will get better from that. But since November, uh, we've been working on uh, seeing how we can raise funds toward that. And we had a, a goal of $900,000 to raise uh, for an overall project that will be about $1.6 million. And we've got about $450,000 in savings that we're going to be putting towards that. And, uh, and then we're thinking if, if we if necessary, uh, there would be $300,000 of debt if it's necessary. But we didn't know what would happen in terms of fundraising for that. And so uh, commitments and gifts have been coming in since about the end of November, so for the past three months or so. And the, the latest update that we have on that now, we're really thankful for this, is that we've been able to raise in commitments and gifts $797,000 uh, in that time period. And so we praise God for that. We're thankful for what God's done. And... Uh, and at this point now, the, the deacons will have some decisions to make about steps forward. Now, a lot of things are developing, and thankfully, as we're embarking on this. For, for example, uh, costs seem to be going down right now. Praise God for that. That's a good thing. Um, and there are other alternatives that Paul Delancey and the team who have been looking at some of the layout options. We might be able to hone in costs in other ways, too. So the deacons are going to be getting together next Sunday. And uh, so the goal now would be just to ask everyone, pray, please pray. Pray the deacons will have wisdom in terms of good, better, and best uh, for the next steps forward. And just we're excited. We're excited to see what God's going to do through this. And again, praise God for you and your generosity and the ways in which this is even being entertained at all. It's, it's stunning to think that over the past little over three months that this could be the outcome. And so we're grateful for that. Uh, another thing, and Eric alluded to it earlier, but we are uh, going to be... Uh, making lunches for Hope 680. Now, if you don't know what Hope 680 is, Hope 680 is a ministry that visits the, the homeless encampments in Concord and Clayton uh, and in, North, or in the um, uh, Walnut Creek area. And they'll go out also up to Vallejo sometimes. They've got a, I think they're ever, an ever-expanding footprint, but mostly it's our area. That, this is where they started. So there are several places that they visit twice a month. And so this next month, they need lunches. They need 40 lunches. And uh, so what we've done is we've said, hey, we will provide the 40 lunches for you. How can you be involved in that? Uh, There's a clipboard out there. And by the way, Eric, I may have moved it. So (laughs) it might not be where Eric said. I'm like, what was it doing there? So I moved it to a table. But look for the sign. This is your, just look for that sign. It's there. And there'll be someone behind a table there. Uh, to help you sign up. And on on that kind of clipboard, you can uh, bring a loaf of bread. You can bring some lunch meat. Uh, You can bring other things necessary for those lunches. Uh, They're going to be sealed in Ziploc bags because uh, those gallon Ziploc bags are much more durable than paper. And then the the morning of the 18th, someone's going to drive those 40 lunches over to the Hope 680 offices. And then from there, they'll take it and they'll be distributing it that day as they minister to the homeless encampment. So uh, be a part of that. You don't don't want to miss out on that. It's going to be Friday night, March 17th at 7 o'clock. Deliberately after dinner, we don't want to be feeding you and then trying to make food for for people. That's not not a good combo. Yeah, I mean, uh, throw some, I just had some, I'll throw it on. We're not doing that. So you will eat 
separately. We will come in and we will make, we'll just have an assembly line and, and then we'll get those lunches out. And it's a joy to be a part of what God's doing to care for those who are needy in our area. And, and we're excited to be able to be a part of a ministry that cares for them spiritually and physically. So the gospel will be shared and uh, it's going to be a joy to, to see that happen. So don't miss out. Show up, be there, and that'll be fantastic. Uh, we also are continuing now through 1 Corinthians. And, and I want to ask you a question that I think um, we don't ask often enough. Where is power actually to be found to walk and live the Christian life? Where is it found? And, and by the way, do you ever feel like you're lacking it? I'll be real honest, folks. I woke up this morning, I felt like I was lacking it. Are you, anybody with me on that? Or am I the only one? Yeah. I'm looking at your faces. You're like, yeah, I know. Okay, so that we, we do sense that. Where, where is power to be found? And we get confused about power and sources of power and, and what that's all about. I've even thought of that um, just recently. We've had some, some birthdays in our family. March is a big birthday month for us. And when birthdays come as a dad, you know, I always get like kind of nostalgic, especially now that the kids are older. So they've moved on. And, and we've got this little Google Home thing that someone got. And so these pictures keep coming up when they were kids. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm walking to the kitchen. I just want a glass of milk, okay? And I'm like, <laughs> look at them. You know, like they're just, they're little. Like what, you know, what happened? They just woke up and they're, you know. But I remember like one, one of the things that would happen is like they'd get a gift from somebody, maybe a grandparent or a family member, and it was an electronic gift. But nowadays they all come with batteries in the package. Have you noticed that? Back then, nah. I know you're like, really? You're that old? Yeah, I'm that old. Okay, yeah, there were not batteries with the toy. You had to buy it separately. And so you'd have a kid and open the package up like, yeah, and I want to use it. Maybe it was like a transformer thing. Maybe it was, I don't know what it was. But the point is, all they could do is stare at the thing because there's no battery. And then you're just kind of like, ah, what are we going to do? Power, to animate it, to use it. And I think, you know, you go and try to find batteries real fast. I think in, 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 in the Christian life, what happens with us is we get confused about where's the source of power. Certainly the church at Corinth did. They thought their power came from the kind of spiritual gifts they had. They thought they had arrived because they had certain gifts and they elevated them above all others. And, and, uh, and here we find Paul is now turning a corner and he's going to tell them the power for your life is not found in your circumstances, is not found in the spiritual gifts you have even, it's not found in the many other things you can turn to. Instead, that power is to be found in Christ and in the gospel message about Jesus. And so that's what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I'd encourage you to open to that. And uh, in, in light of the fact that this is God's word, would you please stand in honor of that as I read? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open up these scriptures to our hearts, that you would change us to become your followers in such a way that we rely upon you and your provisions for this walk with you, for this life in you. We pray, Lord, that we would prize the gospel more, that we would preach it to ourselves more, that we would share it with the people you've put in our lives more. We're grateful, most of all, for our risen Savior who is alive, who's conquered death. And it's in his mighty name that we give you thanks now. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So in this passage, we're just going to ask a real simple question. What is the gospel? And, and ultimately, the gospel is, in short, the good news about Jesus. Um, but it's further described by Paul here. And so here we find that, first of all, the gospel is crucial. And we find that in verses 1 and 2. And notice how he's saying there, now I make known to you something. And he's saying to the church family, he's saying, look, the gospel is what I preach to you. And, and so he has this idea of the gospel. And, and the gospel is, is, is God's message. Uh, it is the truth about who Christ is and what he's done. And, and notice this, the gospel is something that is brought forward in this way as something that is actually active. It is, it, is a, it is a way in which it's a message that's shared, but it has power in it because God's gracious act in Christ is made known in the gospel. And so we would find in other places that Paul describes it in this way. In Romans 1.16, he says the gospel is what? The power of God unto salvation. There's power in this message. And that's why here he, he, he would say, even in verse 2, notice he says, by which you are saved. So Paul can use that little concept of, of the gospel is an, as, as a, as a, is an active thing, and it's going about the business of rescuing you or saving you. The gospel. And I think we need to be careful here because we very easily just think of the gospel sometimes as, oh yeah, that's what people who don't know Jesus yet need. They need the gospel. They need to hear the good news about Jesus. And then afterwards, we as Christians, we kind of move on. Right now, we're like, well, yeah, I heard the gospel. So now I'm going to move on and live the Christian life. And, and what we find here is Paul's saying, look, the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The, the gospel really is the A to Z of the Christian life. And it has inherent power to accomplish God's purposes, both for those who have not yet come to Jesus in terms of awakening them to the truth 
but also for believers as, as we grow in him, as we come to know him more. And so we need to understand this about the gospel. And so he is preaching to them the gospel. He's talking about they've, how they've received it. Notice in verse one, you received it. But notice now, in which you also stand. There's a current thing happening. So you received the gospel back then, but now you're standing in it in an ongoing way, by which you are also saved. And you're going, well, wait a minute. In verse two, he's like, wait a minute. They were already saved, weren't they? Well, they are believers. He's writing too. We, we saw that in chapters one and two. Certainly they're, they're believers. And yet there's a sense in which salvation, yes, it happens at a moment in time. Uh, the Bible would call that justification when you are declared righteous by God. It happens at one point in time. But there's also this thing called growth in him in an ongoing way. And so in that sense, by which you are also saved currently. Um, and so, you, you know, this idea of in, in which you stand, it's something that's happened in the past with ongoing results now. You are being saved in an ongoing way. God has, has rescued you, and yet he is also in the process of causing you to become more and more like him. You're growing in him. And, uh, and then you'll notice in verse two, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, and, and you're kind of going, wow, what's he talking about? And then he goes on to say, unless you believed in vain. And you're going, oh, what's that? Well, it's a warning. It's a warning to tell them in a pastoral way, you need to hold fast to the word. God's revelation. You need to hold fast to this gospel. Because if you don't hold to, what's the tendency? You're going to drift. I, I've uh, likened it in the past to this idea of, you know, when I was a kid, we used to go out and boogie board at Santa Monica, right? That's what we would do. And I was amazed that you'd be out there and you're kind of just having fun in the waves and you're catching waves and you're doing stuff. And then you look up and you're like, you feel like you're 20 miles down the coast. Like, what happened, you know? It was Lifeguard Station 4 and it's like a dot way over there. What's going on? There's this pull. There's this pull of the current. You don't even know what's happening. And what Paul is saying here is that with the gospel, it's the same idea. You've got to hold on to deliberately the truth of the gospel because the tendency is to drift. That's why the book of Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says, we must pay, in chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift from it. So I've heard the gospel, I've received the gospel, but now I've got to take my mind and focus it in and, and hold on to this thing because the tendency is to drift from it. And so he's saying, I don't want it to be that you believed in vain because you've drifted. I want you to hold fast, hold tight to what you've initially believed because drifting from the gospel is an ongoing concern. It always is. It always will be until the Lord Jesus takes us home. And so Paul is, is kind of giving them kind of a, a history lesson. He goes, remember when I came to you and I preached to you? I declared the gospel to you? You received that gospel. So he's talking about this gospel. And he's saying, there's many different ways that we've related to this. I declared it to you. You received it back then. You're standing in it as of that time you believed it through till now. You're being saved by it, but you need to hold on tight to it. Don't let go of it. Um, and, and I love how when, when Paul says this, he's like, look, what I do with the gospel, I preached it to you. Notice he didn't say, well, what I do with the gospel, well, I, I invented it, I created it. No, he's like, I delivered it. It came to me. I didn't tweak with it. I did, it came from God, and I just went here. It, it's kind of like, a, you know, literally what, what a herald would do in the first century, right? He would stand there, 
and declare the message of another. I mean, think of UPS, right? What's, what's the job of UPS? They are to deliver the package. They're not to, I don't know, make up the package. Improve. Could you imagine if they tried to improve it? Like you ordered something and UPS is like, you know, I know you ordered this item, but I made it a little better for you. Here. That's called package tampering. That's illegal. You cannot do that. Their job is to deliver it. Not to change it, not to simplify it, not to candy coat it. Deliver it. And that's what Paul is saying. I took this gospel and I declared it to you. Why? Because there is power in the gospel. Again, it is the power of God unto salvation. We don't need to improve it. We don't need to tweak with it. We need to bring it forward and give it to people. And, um, and that's something. And Paul did talk about that before. If you'll recall, go ahead and, and turn back briefly to chapter 1. First Corinthians 1. And you'll notice in verse 18 of chapter 1, what does he say? The word of the cross is perishing, or sorry, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Very similar, right? There it is. There's the gospel. He's saying, hey, it's foolishness to those who are rejecting it and perishing, but to us, it's the power of God because we're being saved. And then he goes on to kind of describe that and if you look at verse 22, what do, the Jews, what do the Jews want? He says, for indeed the Jews asked for signs. That's what they were all about. Show us a sign. Remember when Jesus was there, they would, they would say it to him. All right, give us another sign. Show us another sign. We'll believe you if you give us a sign. And then what do the Greeks want? The Greeks want wisdom. That was like their sport. Like, you know, to us, it's, it's the NFL. Or maybe it's another sport. Maybe you like the NBA. I don't know what it is. But for them, it was debate in the public square. Let's go watch a good debate. You make the popcorn, I'll sit there. Who won the debate? And that was pretty good points, but I think this guy took it. I mean, that, that was to them kind of their, their mode of, of uh, you know, cultural prowess is, is, is if someone could beat someone else in a debate. Um, and I do think, by the way, and I've mentioned this before, for us, it could be, you know, the, the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks search for wisdom, and the Americans want to be entertained. Uh, that's really, that's us. Right? Just make it, make it snappy, make it good, make it right. And, and what Paul is saying is, he, I understand all that. Now, notice, he's writing to Corinth. Oh, they want wisdom. It says here in verse 22. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. He talks about coming to them in Corinth, there. What does he say? When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom. Well, time out, Paul. You just said that's what Greeks want. And you're saying you know that's what they want. And Paul's like, yeah, I know. I know exactly what they want, but I'm not going to give them what they want. I'm going to give them what they need. What do they need? The gospel. And so he deliberately comes to them and says, for I determine, look at verse two, to know nothing amongst you. Whoa, don't say that to a Greek person. You're almost like, Paul, you're, you're just not being, you know, very savvy or slick here. Don't you understand your audience? And he's already told us he understands the audience. But he says in verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, wait. What's going on? Look at, back to chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. There's the same phrase. Notice what he says. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. He gets that. But he's saying, I know nothing except that. And I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Again, 
what the Greeks want the most. But, contrast, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. So what he's saying is he's speaking forth the message of the cross. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. The word of the cross. Why? There is inherent power in the gospel. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like when we're dealing with friends that we love dearly who maybe don't, you know, believe what the scriptures would say. I'm, I was one of them. If you've heard my testimony, you know that. That was me. I was mocking people who were reading the Bible, okay? So sometimes our tendency is to go, well, I can't, I can't share this with them because they don't believe that this is the, the word of God. And it's, again, you know, back to that saying that it's a, it's a good one. Um, you don't have to prove there's a sword in your hand to use it. You know, if you're in a sword fight, you don't go, hey, look at this sword. Look, it's got a blade. It's got a point. Ooh, don't, you know, just go like that. Don't know it's a sword. You just go like that. It's a sword. This is the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit actively takes this, and when we're sharing it, He works in people's hearts. People who are dead, people who are blinded by themselves, blinded by the idols of their life, blinded by, by Satan. And he brings light. So Paul's saying, I came and I preached this gospel to you. And, and so we need to realize that that's, that's our calling as well. You might think, well, I don't have the gift of preaching or teaching or evangelism or whatever. Well, that, that's okay. You don't need to have that gift because God's calling you to do this in your life. God has put neighbors around you. God has put coworkers in your life. God has put family members around you, friends around you, all these people. And you, if you're a believer, if you're here today and you've received Jesus, you have all that you need in him to share this with them. Does that mean every time you talk to them, you give the verse and reference? No. By the way, those aren't inspired anyway. The numbers, the address, that's not the point. No. But as we live our daily lives, let's pray and let's seek after opportunities to have have gospel conversations, God-centered conversations with our coworkers, neighbors, families, and, fr- and friends. And, and, and maybe you're going, yeah, yeah, I just don't feel comfortable with that. I, I know, none of us really do. I mean, maybe some of us feel super comfortable. Those with the gift of evangelism, I think for them, a lot of times it's like, bring it, they're in. But for others of us who maybe don't have that gift, it's, but here's the thing, not being comfortable, that's a blessing. Why? Because that means you've got to trust God in that moment. And maybe you're going, well, I don't like bashing people with the Bible. It happened to me. I don't think it's helpful or effective. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, no one's, no, one's, no one's calling you to walk up to someone and go, okay, you're my friend. Good. Sit, just, just hold still for a Just hold still. You know? That's not it. That is not it. Matter of fact, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 tell us that we are to conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. So we're supposed to have a wise way of doing it. We need to make the most of the opportunity, it says. We need to season our speech with salt. That has the idea of speaking in a way where you don't take the salt container and just go, poof, right? It's, you season it with salt so you know how to respond to each person. So you're listening you're engaging. Here's the thing. You love them. Your relationship with them is not dependent upon them turning to Jesus. You're there for them. Sincerely. And so the question is, well, how, how can we begin to do this more? 
And I think first, it starts with prayer. We need to be praying regularly for the people in our lives. Pray for your neighbors, family, coworkers, your friends. Maybe you've got a hobby you're engaged in and, and, and there are people around you in that. Pray for them. Just start praying. And, and, then, and then look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to listen, to care for them, to, to look for ways to become involved in their lives. Again, not to simply get some checkbox. No, because they are seriously in need. And you have been given a gift, the gift of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And then at the right times, prayerfully seek to talk about God and the things of God. How's that conversation going to go? I don't know. I know in the past, you know, many, many years ago, the big thing was to memorize a massive presentation, you know, and you'd show up and you'd start your presentation. And it's almost like you were doing it to the person (laughs) instead of interacting with the person. And so, you know, I have a question. No, don't, you're not supposed to ask that. My, I have three more points. Stop. You know, that's not a, a very connecting, natural way to do it. Instead, it's, it, maybe there are some questions you could ask. Um, at the right time, it could be as simple as this. Do you believe in God? You know? It could be, and now, by the way, at that point, they might go, so wasn't it a bummer that San Francisco didn't make it to the Super Bowl this year? You know, they might change the subject. That's okay. That's, that's a decision. They've made, you don't have to like, well, wait, I want to talk to you about God. No, you, okay. Maybe there's another time. But you've, you've approached it. Um, if you do believe in God, what's, he, what's, what's God like? Tell me about that. Where do you get your ideas about what God's like? Okay, well then... Can I share with you what the Bible would say God's like? You're in, you're in the zone at that point. You're talking. But at any time, they can depart from that conversation and you are there with them. And maybe there's another opportunity. So I think, I think that's important to, for us to be looking for that. Again, Paul brought forward the gospel. The good news about Jesus is the power of God into salvation. Um, it's a content of the scriptures, it's this description of what Jesus has accomplished, and we need to be ready, willing, eager to share that because we love them. So, the gospel's crucial. We can't, we cannot overemphasize that enough, and we need to hold hold tightly to it and not drift away from from the reality of the gospel. And then Paul goes on then to describe the gospel further. And not only is the gospel crucial, the gospel is also historical. And he gives us that in verses three through seven. Um, and he says, look, I, I'm, I, here's that idea of delivery. I deliver it to you as of first importance what I receive. So God gave this to me, I'm giving it to you. And notice, the first thing he says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Wow, Christ died, Jesus died died in our place. And, and he's saying according to the scriptures. Why? Because the Old Testament talks about this a lot. So Isaiah 53, he, the suffering servant, the Messiah, the one who's to come, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's what the prophet Isaiah writes. And so you're going, whoa, this is the one who died for our sins. Jesus Christ, the one who came and, and, and bore our sins on the cross. He died for us in our place. Uh, there was a, a professor at a, at a Christian college, 
And he did an interesting thought experiment with one of his classes. He began a lecture by telling them that he was going to present the gospel. He's like, I'm going to bring the gospel to you, but I'm going to leave out one important element. And so he, he, he described, you know, how sin is just saturating our culture. And, and he, he talked about various types of sin from drug use to, to you know, various forms of, uh, you know, greed and uh, homosexuality and abortion, whatever. He brought them all up. He brought up newspaper headlines. He talked about just the, the way the culture is disintegrating. And then, and then he said the wages of sin is death. And then he, then he talked about the consequences that come from sin and, and um, you know, everything from sexually transmitted diseases to, to all the stats of people's lives in decline. And then he described the way sin separates us from God. And he spoke about the beauty of morality. And he, he told stories citing examples of there's a way you can live in a better way, in a more righteous way. And he deal, detailed the greatness of heaven, and he, he spoke about repentance and how their lives could be God-honoring. Their lives could be God-centered. And then he, he kind of finished at the lecture, and he kind of, you know, he, he rests his case kind of thing, and then, and then he, he asked them, can anyone tell me what I left out of this gospel presentation? Not one student raised their hands. And he goes, I left out Jesus. There are so many that would believe, even the culture at large, that that you will quote unquote go to heaven based upon whether you're morally pure or whether you have the theological right answer on several levels or, or that you're very spiritual. And, and in some ways, Jesus is unnecessary or he's sort of a little add-on. Like, oh yeah, Jesus too. And his point was, that is the very reason why moralistic, therapeutic deism, this imposter for the gospel, moralistic in that it's you live a righteous light, you keep a moral standard, and you'll be okay with God. Therapeutic in that it makes me feel really good when I can keep that moral standard. And deism, the idea of God setting the universe in motion and then not being a part of it at all, separating himself, just leaving. Uh, deism, because if those two things are your hope, you don't need God. So no, here Paul emphasizes Christ died for our sins. The whole point is the Messiah, Jesus. The coming of the Christ. He died for our sins, notice, according to, our, according to the scriptures. Why is that important? And he's going to say it twice. Because again, this isn't a newfangled thing. This isn't something like God went, oh no, what am I going to do? I got to switch directions here. I know, well, I'll do a Jesus, sending Jesus. That's what I'll do. No, he's saying the Old Testament is saturated with promises of this coming Messiah, this, this new David, this son of David who will reign from his throne forever. The Lord's anointed, Emmanuel, born of a virgin, called mighty God, Prince of Peace, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And, and then Jesus was confessed by Peter to be what? The Christ. What does that mean? That's, that's an Old Testament messianic term. Uh, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Christ? And how did Jesus respond? Jesus responded with two simple yet very profound and full words. He said, I am. Harkening back to 
Exodus 3.14 when Moses is there and God reveals that he's to say the I am has sent you. So Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then he goes on to say he was buried. To emphasize something, Jesus really died. There were a lot of theories. Even today, there's some theories still have, well, he didn't really die. He was just, you know, just really worn out or injured or wounded, but not dead. And no, every account is clear that he was dead. And so he, Paul emphasizes that. He was buried And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, God has been depicting this throughout the scriptures. And that the Messiah would give his life and would be buried. And then he would put to death, death, by rising again. Um, So again, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, that's what Paul describes and, and for us, same thing. This is not a new thing. We're not inventing this. this is, it's been entrusted to us to, to announce, to proclaim. And it's completely consistent throughout all of redemption history as God reveals his will. He rose again on the third day. Um, that's, again, a profound thing. And... Paul's going to be addressing this with the Corinthian church because apparently some in the Corinthian church did not believe in the resurrection. So for some reason they thought, well, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but the resurrection, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. And, and, And Paul is emphasizing here, no, there's an objective reality to the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so he, he, he depicts his appearing to people on five different occasions, and they're all listed by next, then, next, then, next, then. So Paul's just giving a bullet list of those who have seen Jesus. And so he, he appeared to um, Cephas, and then the 12, and then more than 500 at one time. Notice in verse 6, most of whom remain until now, though some have fallen asleep. So he's saying, look, they're still alive. You don't believe me? Go talk to them. They were there. He appeared to, to, to James and then to all the apostles. And so, and by the way, Paul's list here is not intended to be exhaustive because we have other scriptures that would give us even more information about uh, the resurrected Christ and his appearing to people. So uh, there were the, first of all, the women who came to the tomb. They were the first witnesses. That was very significant. The two men going to Emmaus in Luke 24. The disciples apart from Thomas in John 20. The seven disciples at the lakeside in John 21. And then there was the 12 in Jerusalem before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. So with all these different accounts, we would see that, that there were at least 12 separate occasions when the risen Lord appeared to many hundreds of people over a 37-day period between the resurrection and his ascension. Several hundred people, most of whom are still around. That is an overwhelming amount of eyewitnesses. And so, uh, so many, by the way, that, let's face it, with that many eyewitnesses, you could take it to court. And someone did. There's a guy named J. Warner Wallace. He spent decades as a, a Los Angeles detective. Uh, he would uh, specialize in cold cases. So these are when the evidence is long gone and, and the case is passed. 
But he goes back in and tries to find out if they can solve the crime. He was a skeptic about all things pertaining to God, especially the supposed resurrection of Jesus. He was especially just sort of skeptical about that. But eventually he decided, you know, because he had friends in the, in the, in the LAPD who were, who were believers, and they kept talking to him. He's like, I just want to put this to rest. So you know what? I'll take my skills as an investigator, and I'm going to apply them to the resurrection. And so he did. And he, and he goes, what a great thing for me to do, by the way, because what's the, one of the main questions in terms of considering the resurrection? It's this question. Where's the body? He was asking that question all the time in his career. So why not? After spending countless, of hour, countless hours, he, he came to a conclusion, and he just couldn't get around it. All the evidence sedates clearly that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And at that point, he repented of his sin, he trusted in Christ, and he received eternal life. And uh, you can actually learn more about uh, all that from a video series he's got out called uh, The Cold, Cold Case Christianity. And uh, you might want to look at it. It's good stuff. But, but yes, the witnesses are overwhelming. And if you were going to start a conspiracy of some kind, you wouldn't start with several hundred people. You don't want that many. Someone's going to crack. You got to go small. Even four, big risk. So what is the gospel? The, the gospel is crucial. The gospel is historical. And lastly, the gospel is merciful. We find that in verses 8 through 11, where, where Paul is, is, describes himself as last of all, as to one untimely born. A very graphic language there, really, really uh, the idea of a miscarriage. As to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So he places himself among the apostles, but, but here's the thing, he places himself in a, in a very, very low position. Now, what's interesting in that where he put himself, think of the criticism he's receiving from the church at Corinth. They've already been accusing him of that. They're already saying, well, Paul, Paul's not that great. You know, we find in other sections, other correspondence with them that, you know, he, he's not a great speaker. He's kind of, eh. And of course, they, before they were all into, well, I'm of Cephas, you know, and I'm of Apollos. Apollos can really preach. So they, they had their favorites. Paul wasn't one of them, maybe, for some at least. Well, he's actually taking their criticism now and he's applying it to himself. He's actually using that rhetorically. He's like, you know what? For those of you who think low of me, guess what? I think even lower of me. <laughs> you're right. Critics, you're right. I'm the least. Um, he's emphatic with that. But notice what he also says. Notice in verse 10, there's a word that shows up three times in verse 10. Can you spot it? It's the word grace. He's emphatic about who he is, but he's also emphatic that God's grace is primary. So whatever I may have been, he says, now God's grace has brought me into this place of being an apostle. And then he says, in the second portion of verse 10, that he labored even more than all of them. And, he, and he's not trying to compare himself with other apostles saying, see, look what I did. That's not the point. He's just saying the fruit that comes from what God's grace has done has, has caused me to, to even be someone who wants to labor with all my heart. Paul's always been a hard worker. And he's also looking back at what he was formerly. Formerly, he worked hard to persecute the church. And we find that account uh, in Acts. And yet, 
Now, when God changed his life, all of that uh, energy and, and focus now went to bringing the gospel to others that they too may live. And so in verse 10, when he says, even though he worked hard to fulfill his calling, and that is true, we do labor hard. And yet, it is God's grace that enables that work. We don't do that work to be accepted by God. No, Jesus did everything to cause us to be accepted by God. We do that as a result of already having been received by God. And so he says grace multiple times to put that emphasis there, that if Paul has anything to boast in, it's not himself, it's the grace of God. And that's the same for, it needs to be the same for us. Is that the same for you? It, does grace just resound? The idea of grace is, the, is that receiving of something, not by what you've done, not by what you've earned, but by the kindness of the giver, in this case, God. So that gospel tradition was handed down. It was preached by Paul as he received it. And in doing so, life was given to all there at Corinth who believed, who trusted And now this gospel, this reality that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Paul's now going to take that and apply it to the situation there at Corinth, especially toward those who would deny the resurrection. And essentially, he's going to say, if there is no resurrection, then we're still in our sins and there is no hope and we are to be of all people to be the most pitied. Um, But we'll have to get, get into that Um, a little more next week. His life is not in vain, he says. It's not emptiness because of what God has done. Um, He's calling on them to not have believed in vain by trusting in the wrong source of power. In their case, namely their gifts. But we need to be resting in the actual power that comes from God to be found in the gospel alone. Uh, there was, there was a, with all the crazy weather that's been happening, uh, you might recall um, several weeks ago, not this storm set, but the previous one several months ago, in Detroit, there was a massive power outage. And uh, there, was a, there was a man who was driving on the road and um, eventually, with just the traffic and people were getting stuck and the cars couldn't operate, they were staying in their cars, keeping their cars on to stay warm. But it was a, it was a life-threatening situation. And uh, what he ended up doing is he, he, he took the courage to leave his car because he realized my fuel is only going to go so long and then the car turns off and then I'm in trouble. And he actually went to homes. He was, he was in a neighborhood. There was a main street and there were houses and you know, it was a, kind of a suburban neighborhood. And he went, he went to some doors. No one would open their door for him. They were all afraid. Detroit's a tough town, so I get that. But no one would open up for him. And so he went back to his car. He noticed... The car in front of him, this person was struggling. And he kind of went up and he says, how much gas do you have left? And we can probably stay together if you want to. But then he realized, I've got a line of people here. Super resourceful. He looked and just on this other block, there was a school. And though there had been power outages and other things were happening, schools were on a separate grid and there was a generator on site. And so the school was in power. Now, it was... Middle of the night, no one was there. So he took a couple of people and they went to the school. They broke into the school. 
uh, broke through a window, opened the doors. They got everybody into the cafeteria area, which was still heated. And, um, and then he went across the street and uh, there was a, an old folks home and he, they, who, who, they'd lost power and he escorted several of them across into the, the cafeteria area of the school that was warm. Why? Because it actually still had power. Uh, he left a note because they left in the morning and it had been the weekend. And the note was simply something along the lines of, sorry I broke your window. Um, and we took some juice boxes and some food from the fridge for the old folks. You can reach me at this number. <laughs> um, what did he do, though? He took people to where the power really was, to safety, to the actual place of deliverance. And we need to do the same. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and ask that you would, again, anchor these things into our hearts. Thank you that um, the good news about Jesus, the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins, according to the scriptures, he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Lord, we, we praise you that you are the one who built the gospel, designed the gospel, you're the one that applied the gospel, and you're the one that rescues. Grace us fast to the truth and to proclaim it and share it uh, that others would be born again and know you and come to that place of safety found in Christ alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.